Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. You're wearing your elastic pants this Sunday. Uh, when you guys gain a couple belt loops over the week, man, nothing like Thanksgiving meal, one of my favorite meals of the year. And you know what happens after Thanksgiving? It's Black Friday. How many of you guys went Black Friday shopping this week? How many Black Friday? Okay, we got a couple. That's awesome. That's what you get if you go Black Friday shopping, guys. I love that. Uh, how many of you guys have ever, ever at one time in your life been Black Friday shopping? Raise your hand. Uh, man, some of most of us. I, I want to show you a couple clips of Black Friday madness. Something about Black Friday that makes people go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Watch the screens. articles about black friday shopping that there's some releases some when you see a good deal especially you ladies it releases some chemical in the brain that you lose all senses and it just goes crazy like like this week people magazine published an article the day before black fart friday not black fart day black friday (laughs) of of retail workers talking about the craziest things they've ever seen here's the first one number one says Say, I saw a woman steal an ice cream maker out of a man in a wheelchair's electric cart. Like, man, is that the Grinch or what? Who steals from the elderly? Off the, that's, that's crazy. Not, the second thing I heard that was crazy is this. When I worked at Walmart, we had a fight break out over a bike. Fists were thrown. And there was some blood. Eventually, one guy got a hold of it and managed to get away from the crowd. He rode the bike out of the store without paying. Now, now that's boss. That's awesome. Like, get in a fight. You get out of there. Like, wow, that would be amazing to see that. I think I, I could picture some of you guys doing that. I want to call out your name. Number three, this was a, Sam, a Sam's Club worker said this. When I worked at Sam's Club, we caught a woman stuffing the inside of her pants with frozen lobster tails. She would unpack them and throw the trash in a stack of tires that were on display nearby. So many things to say about that. I'm going to restrain myself. But like, you like lobster? Awesome! Like, you know where that lobster's been. Remember that next time you go to somebody's Thanksgiving dinner. And number four, a lady called 911 because we wouldn't price match with Best Buy. The police came and arrested her for misusing emergency service. Like, fine, like, who does that? Like, nothing can test your patience like going shopping on Black Friday. If there's one thing that tests your patience, it's shopping during the Christmas season. You just walk around the mall, the outlet mall, drive around, driving around, waiting. Like, like patience is at an all-time high. Man, it's something about 
black, shop, black Friday shopping or Christmas shopping, like Jennifer and the girls go into the mall and it's like the black hole. I'm never going to see them again. Good thing I got unlimited data on my phone. <laughs> so, but but, but there's, there's just something about this time of the year that tests our patience. And, and if there's something that we hate more than, as Americans more than anything else, it's waiting. We are living in arguably the most impatient time of history. Think about this. Fast food chains now have two lines so you can get your food even faster than before. And we get mad because it takes three seconds for our phone to open an app. Like, like this is what Americans do. We spend hundreds of dollars on a new piece of electronic so that we can get to an app a second or two quicker. And, and we don't even sit down and watch TV anymore. It has to be streamed to us when we want it. We fast forward to the parts that we don't like. We fast forward to the commercials because we don't have time for that. I know there's some of you in here like, I hate commercials. I got to wait. Came in to watch live TV because of that. And let's be honest. How many of you found yourself downloading a document, a picture, or something this week and you gave up because it wasn't moving fast enough? Raise your hand. Like you waited a whole 15 seconds. Like 15 seconds and it wouldn't unload. So you like, you like unloaded that and started again. And some of you guys are thinking right now, how long is this sermon going to take? Longer than normal because this morning we're talking about patience. <laughs> See, when we wait, we realize that we're not in control of our circumstances. And we don't like it. Waiting challenges our ego and our self-importance. Our response in moments of waiting reveals how entitled we really are. When we ask, why do I have to wait? We're suddenly telling ourselves that my role, my life, my schedule is more important than the people around me. I shouldn't have to wait. See, our culture doesn't put a value on patience. But all ancient cultures before us put great value on patience. In the past, impatient people were considered shallow. They didn't take time to think about things. Impatient people were reckless. They made stupid, dumb choices. Impatient people miss all sorts of opportunities. And every one of us can look back at a moment in life, a season in life, an opportunity that we missed because we are impatient. and We regret it. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that patient is an essential part of being a Christian life. Part of the, part of the Christian life, that you need patience in our lives. And in James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, he tells us how we develop patience. He tells us what is patience, and he tells us when to be patient. In James chapter 5, verse 7, he starts off with a simple command. He says, be patient. And in this short passage, he uses the word patience or steadfast six different times. The Greek word that James uses here for patience is the word macrothumos. It's a compound Greek word. Thumos is the root word. It's where we get the word thermometer. It's this idea of anger. And macro means long or large. To be patient, essentially, in biblical terms, is to be long or slow to anger. And it assumes that you and I are going to be in a situation where we're tempted to be angry. D.A. Carson, one of the great theologians of our time, in his book, Scandalous Grace, writes this. The reason that most Christians don't pray for patience is because we're smart enough to know that the very prayer itself implies that we will be placed into a circumstance we do not like. And Carson is right. 
I've prayed a lot of prayers. I've asked God for a lot of things. But I have never once asked him for patience. Because I know if I ask him for patience, he's going to put me in a situation where I got to learn patience. And I don't want to be placed in a situation like that. How many guys can say amen? So here's what I want you to learn. Patience is developed through adversity. You don't learn patience by sitting in an air-conditioned room watching Netflix. You don't learn patience by taking a class in school. You only learn patience through going through life's difficulties. Patience is developed like a pearl. A pearl is formed when a foreign object such as dirt lodges itself in an oyster's soft inner body. And the oyster can't dispel it. It can't get rid of it. And to ease the irritant, the oyster's body begins to secrete a smooth, hard, crystalline substance around the irritating object in order to protect itself. And over time, the irritant will be completely encased in a silky, smooth, crystalline coating. The result is a beautiful prayer. And here's what we want. We all want the treasure, but we don't want to go through the trial. But God uses trials to make beautiful pearls out of our lives. And we don't get to God's delivery room of blessing without taking a stop in God's waiting room called patience. Just look at the Bible. Just look at the great men that God has used in the past. We say, I want to be a leader. I want to be like Joseph, second in command, and all the people of Egypt. That's what I want to be like. But look what Joseph had to endure. He was betrayed by his older brothers. He was sold into slavery by his family. He was lied about by Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten about and left in jail. Can you imagine how many times he cried himself to sleep? And and those those nights he wondered, God, do you even quit? Those grains of sands were developing him into the man of God that God wanted him to be. He learned patience in the process. Look at Moses. We say, I want to be like Moses, legendary liberator and lawgiver. I want to talk face to face with God like Moses. Before God calls him, he spends 40 years in the backside of a desert, 40 years wandering, wondering if God had forgotten. 40 years looking at sheep's butts. 40 years of waiting. How about King David? The man who led Israel into its golden age. From the first time he was anointed king as a kid in 1 Samuel 16 until the time he takes the throne in 2 Samuel chapter 1, it's 15 years of waiting. 15 years of running for his life, not knowing if he's going to live or die. 15 years of dodging spears from an evil king that wants him dead. See, Freedom Church, you won't get to God's delivery room of blessing until you make a pit stop in his waiting room called patience. And in the world, how you develop patience is through adversity and through struggle. And this is not an American way of thinking. We want God's blessing without the process. We, learn, we live in a microwave culture, but we serve a crockpot God. And God is interested in slow cooking us. He doesn't rush it. And the worst thing that can ever happen to you, the worst thing that can ever happen to me, is you get the blessings without having the character and the infrastructure to sustain them. Because when you do, it will destroy you. See, God is more concerned with who you are being than blessing you. He is more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. 
And we all can look back at people in our lives, and it seemed like they had the touch of God on their lives. And we say, whatever happened to so-and-so? They were all fired up. They were doing good. What happened to them? And the translation is too much too soon. They weren't ready for the position. They weren't ready for the blessing. They weren't ready for what God did for them, and it destroyed them. Do you realize that the blessing of God in your life can destroy you if God has not developed in you what you need to sustain it? And James says this, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, dot, 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 until. James says, you're in a situation you don't like. You're in a situation you can't fix. You're in a situation where your degree can't get you out of. Your relational network can't change it. Your money can't fix it. You can't think your way out of it. Have you ever been in a situation where there seemed no way out? James says, hang in there because no matter how bad your situation, God says there is an until on it. Until means there's an expiration date on your situation. I'm not going prosperity gospel on you. I'm not saying your situation will end the way you want it to end. But James says this for sure. Your situation will end. And there are only two places in the entire universe where you will not need patience. First one is hell because there are no exit signs. And the second one is heaven because there is no adversity. But everywhere in between hell and heaven, you will need patience in your life but here's a question what exactly is patience what does patience look like is it a passive resignation that says it's all right i can't do anything about it i'm just gonna sit here pop my boy up on man sit on lazy boy get some iced tea watch netflix i'm gonna let god take care of that is that what patience is no james gives us a biblical description of patience in verse seven look at it with me he says this see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Here is the picture of patience according to the Bible. It's a farmer. The farmer never comes to his field and says, waiting on you, God. Do something. I'm waiting. God, I'm waiting here. Make those plants miraculously sprout out of the ground. No. Instead, a farmer does everything he can from sun up to sundown. He digs. He plows. He feeds. He seeds. He weeds over and over and over. He's involved in the process. The farmer does all the work that he can do. But unless God does his part by sending the rain, all his work is for naught. And that's a picture of patience. It's not a passive resignation. But but it's an active waiting and participating and waiting on God to do something. It's not giving up and sitting on your lazy boy and drinking some iced tea, but it's doing your part. And after you do your part, you wait for God to do his part. The biblical example of this is Paul. Most of the letter that Paul writes, he writes them from prison. They're called the prison epistles. And when Paul is in prison, talk about a situation you can't change. What does he do? Does he say, God, I'm waiting on you. Why don't you do what you did in Acts 16 when Silas and I were in jail? Why don't you go ahead and bust this out of here? Does, does Paul do that? No. If you read the prison epistles, what does he do? He asks the guards, do you, bar- do you mind if I borrow a pen and some paper? I have some writing to do. 
And while Paul is in prison, and he's writing letters, he's instructing the church, and he's praying for the church. He's in a situation he cannot change, and what does he do? He prays and he writes. Paul says, I realized I'm not going anywhere, so I've decided to maximize my situation. See, patience is not active, is not passive resignation. It's not throwing your hands and giving up. But patience is this. It's saying, I'm going to make the most of this difficult situation, even though I cannot change the situation. That's what patience is. Make the most of it, even though I cannot change it. And then James says in verse 8, you also be patient. And he says this, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And he says, do not grumble. And if you and I read these words, it doesn't mean a lot to us. But the recipients of this letter that James was writing to were first century Jews. And coming from a Jewish background, the first thing that hits their mind when they hear the word grumble is the exodus event. They were on the way to the promised land. God had delivered them from Egypt. But what was supposed to be a six-week journey turns into a 40-year debacle. Because they grumble, they grumble, they grumble. And James says, don't focus on what's happening to you. Shift your focus on what God has planned for you. See, God had liberated them. God has set them free. God had spoken promises over Israel. But they were so caught up in their circumstances. They were so caught up in the situation. They were still caught up in everything right here that they could not see the promise that God had for them. And the Bible says this, that they grumbled and they complained and they shortcutted what God has for them. And let me tell you, there's some of you that are in the process this morning and you're grumbling and you see the circumstances and the situation situation and what's happening if you don't begin to put your eyes on what God has for you you'll be stuck where there is all kinds of temporary circumstances and this is this what we need to do we need to shift our focus on what God has planned for us patience is this patience is focusing on what God has planned for you and not what is happening to you James says this establish your hearts on the coming of the Lord James says patience is an internal attitude. It comes from the inside. Where it? it comes from your heart. Patience is not on, focused on your external circumstances, but it's an internal attitude. And James references the return of Christ three times in this passage. See, Christian history is linear. We're moving towards something and away from something. And the thing we're moving towards as Christians is the return of Christ. And when Christ returns... There will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more loss, no more sadness, no more death, no more adversity. And that is our hope. And the challenge is we do not focus on our future hope. We focus on our present circumstances. I'm going to say something to you this morning. It's not going to make me very popular with many of you. But Izzy, I've got to tell you like it is. Ishmael, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And I'm not just going to say this. I'm saying five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys. How many other Cowboy fans do we have in here? How many championships do the Falcons have, Ishmael? That's what I thought. One close one. But if you know anything about the Dallas Cowboys, you know I've been waiting for a long time. They haven't won a Super Bowl since 1995. I was still a teenager back then. In fact, and he, he, here's the mind-blowing thing to think about it. In 23 years, the Dallas Cowboys have won two playoff games. Two. Two. The Falcons won that in one year. <laughs> it's taken us 23 years. 
And I can't tell you how many times as a Cowboy fan, over 23 years, I've cleared my schedule on a Sunday afternoon to watch a big Cowboy game to make it to the playoffs. Leon, you know this. We're watching there, and Tony Romo throws an interception. Dak messes up the game last year against the Seahawks. How many times have we endured to get to the last of the season only to miss the playoffs? I'm not bitter about it. I'm not bitter about it. But can I be honest? It's been so discouraging and heartbreaking for, to be a Cowboy fan over the last 20 years. If, honest, if I'm honest, there have been times I have lost hope in the Cowboys because it's the same story year after year after year. And at the end of the season, one of my favorite things to do is this. I go watch NFL films, and I watch the highlights of the early 90s Dallas Cowboys. And when I see highlights of Emmitt Smith breaking tackles, and I see Troy Aikman, man, throwing touchdown passes to the playmaker, Michael Irvin. I start getting happy, and I realize why I've been a Cowboy fan all these years. Those highlights give me joy in the present and a hope in the future. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're struggling to find joy in the present, you ought to have some nothing but Jesus highlight things in your mind that remind you that what God has done in the past, He will do in the the future that God did it it might have been a long time but he is still faithful I can remember the first time that Jennifer and I walked drove down to Round Rock we didn't know a single person we were here all by ourselves but God was faithful every step of the way bringing a team bringing people I remember when I signed a lease for a hundred thousand dollars and we had only 27 people and I realized God are we even gonna make it but I remembered God you did it back then when I first came and you'll do it again I remember a couple months ago when we needed $120,000 to buy a piece of property and I said let's go for it and I started remembering all those highlight reels of how God had did it back then and if he did it then he will do it again and what we need to do some of you are in a trial in a circumstance you need to look back at all those times God has brought you through and let me tell you he will do it one more time our God is faithful establish your heart on the coming of the Lord. Establish your heart on His goodness. We ought to be able to reflect on the goodness of God. And now that James is saying to establish our hearts on the goodness of God, now that James has defined what patience is, in verse 9 he tells us when to be patient. Look what he says in verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James says this. The first place where we be patient is we are to be patient with difficult people. Let me ask you a question. When people are disappointing and frustrating to you, how do you respond? James says grumbling is a lack of patience. Grumbling is a response that we have towards people. Sometimes we do it outwardly but in most cases we do it inwardly grumbling is responding to people who disappoint you frustrate you with resentment with negativity with cynicism why is grumbling impatience it means you've given up on people patience says this i'll continue to love you i'll continue to pull for you i'll continue to believe the best in you impatience on the other hand it writes somebody off it cuts people out of our lives it says i want anything to do with you Grumbling means because uh, someone has frustrated you, because uh, somebody has disappointed you, because somebody has disillusioned you. You write them off. You detach. You're not long-suffering. You're not sticking with them. You're 
cynical about them. You're grumpy towards them. Is there anybody in your life when you see them, maybe not on the outside, but in the inside, you're like, oh, them. Oh, him. Oh, her. Maybe you had Thanksgiving dinner with them. And the Bible says, that's a serious lack of patience for that person. It means you've given up on them. And it's a very serious offense towards God. Bob Goff says this, that we are to love difficult people because we're one of them. If you don't think you're difficult, just ask your spouse. You know why the people closest to you are always fighting with them? Because you're hard to get along with. Why are you always fighting with your wife? Why are you always fighting with your family? Because you're a hard person to get along with. You really are. Sometimes we don't know that, but we are. And what we need to do is we've got to realize that's what marriage does. That's what family does. It begins to sanctify us and bring the things outside of us that we need to be patient with. And James, in verse 9, says this, that we will be judged for our impatience. When we treat people with a lack of patience, it points to the fact that we're not living out the gospel. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He says, the, the duty of the prophets was to relay the love of God to difficult, stubborn people. God says to Ezekiel, I want to use you an example of my covenant faithfulness to Israel, my people. They're running to other gods. This is what I want you to do, Ezekiel. He told Ezekiel this. He told him, strip down naked, wear a loincloth, land your left side for 390 days, don't move, patience. Thank the Lord we're in a new covenant, right? God tells Jeremiah, preach to my people, even though they don't, won't listen to you, even though they're stubborn, even though day after day you're going to warn them and they're going to be taken over to Babylonian captivity, keep on preaching, even though nobody will listen. Can you imagine preaching and preaching and nobody listening to you? Patience. Some of you guys see that with your kids. Patience, you tell them the same thing over and over and over again. It's like you're talking to a block. God says it's the same way with you. He tells another prophet, Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute that continually pursues the arms of other men, and I want you to keep on pursuing her, keep on buying her back, keep on loving her. See, the prophets were a foreshadow of the gospel, God's love for us. And we are like Israel, continually running from God. And God says, when you were difficult, when you were stubborn in your ways, when you didn't want anything to do with me, I was patient with you. Our God is slow to anger and he's quick to forgive. And God is saying this, the same patience I have shown to you, we must now show that same patience to others. So here's the question. Do you treat difficult people the way Christ has treated you? Then James gives another example. Of patience. See, I, I want you to notice the kind of patience James is talking about here. He's actually using a different Greek word. So the English translators translate this word differently. But this word is also means patience. It's, it's the word steadfast. Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained. You see that? Steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. And how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The Greek word here is the word hopo. Momea. It's a military command to a soldier. This is what it means. It means to hold your post. When there's a fight, when it means to stand, to fight. It means don't give any ground, no matter what. And James says, here's the next time we are to be patient. We are to be patient in difficult circumstances. 
We're not, we're not to step back. We're not to lose ground. We're not to give up. How many of you guys facing a difficult circumstance this morning? Maybe with your family. Maybe with, a, maybe with your job. Maybe your financial situation. And the easy thing to do is to take a step back. But James says when you are in a difficult circumstance, stay there. Don't give any ground. Don't give up. And then James gives us the example of Job. He says, Job loses everything. All ten of his children die. Can you imagine that? All of his wealth vanishes. His body breaks out in painful boils. And the only thing he has left is his wife. And that's not a good thing. She is a nag. Like, Lord, why didn't you take her too? That would have been better. And the worst part of Job's suffering was that he had absolutely no idea why it was happening. He had no idea it was all a test. And Job responds to his trials by saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God, I trust you. You're sovereign. And then in Job 19, he says something so profound. He says so, something so crazy. He says something so mind-blowing. You know what he says in Job 19? He says, I know my Redeemer lives. Of all people, Job had the right to say, why me? Why have I lost everything? God, where have you been? But yet he lifts his hands and he lifts his voices to the heavens and he says, in the midst of all this, I know my Redeemer lives. This blows my mind. He feels discouraged. He feels depressed. He feels sick. He feels down. But yet he still says, I know he lives. And here's the important principle. When you are going through difficulties in life, always let what you know trump what you feel. So much more important what you know. I might feel depressed, but I know he lives. I might feel discouraged, but I know he lives. I might feel forgotten, but I know he lives. I might feel like you don't care right now, God, but I know he lives. I might feel like I'm all alone, but I know he lives. Freedom Church, I'm here this morning to tell you, your God lives. And don't let your temporary circumstances take your eyes off your eternal living God. Don't buy the lie of Satan when facing life's difficulties that God isn't good. God is good. And what Job says, what James says, Job's suffering were for a purpose. They showed us Jesus. That's what he says. In verse 10, if you read, it says, through the sufferings of Job, we've seen the purpose of the Lord. That God used his sufferings to give us a clear picture of Jesus. Because see, Jesus was the true and better Job. Jesus was treated unfairly and punished for not his sins, but for ours. Job, he was crucified as a criminal, even though he was sinless. And yet Jesus remained steadfast. He held his ground against all the forces of darkness. When it came against him on the cross, he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Tim Keller says this, Jesus, through his perfect patience, atoned for our impatience so that the Father can be endlessly patient with us. Never giving up on us, even when we fail. And like I said again, verse 10, through the sufferings of Job, we have seen the purpose of the Lord. There was a purpose for Job's pain, and there's a purpose for your pain. I know it's hard to see, but here's what I know for a fact. Oops is not in God's vocabulary. God has a plan to use your pain to point others to Jesus and to show a picture of Jesus to the world. I know, that, I know this, that God is making a pearl out of your difficulties. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, explained our lives as having our faces scrunched up against a stained glass window. 
And if your face is jammed into a stained glass window, all you see is the jagged edges and the broken pieces. You don't really see the true beauty of that stained glass. It's not till you step back and you see how all the jagged pieces fit together into something beautiful. But our problem is this. We only see the glass with our faces jammed against the window. We look to God and say, God, do you even care? God, have you forgotten me? God, why has this happened to me? And God invites you to step back. He wants you to see that he is up to something in our lives. He says, I have a plan and a purpose for those broken pieces. I'm up to something through the sickness. I'm up to something through the abuse and the pain. I'm up to something through the financial troubles. Be patient. Hold your ground. Be steadfast. I'm developing you. I'm working through you. I'm moving in you. I'm developing a pearl through your trials. There's treasure in your trials. If you're here and you say, I'm going through something right now, I need patience. I need God. I need his strength. I want everybody to head by your head and close your eyes. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.